think I think everybody knows most everybody up here, but uh, maybe not. Uh, this is Jay Max McKee. He's our picking buddy, known him for years and stuff like that. And we're glad to have Max with us today. Good to be here. So uh, we're gonna get him to come up here and uh, make a little noise for you. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Savior God to thee, 
Borland Springs Baptist Church Men's Day, and I've got everybody's attention. I ask to make one simple announcement, and I get the stack. So, it is a joy to be in the house of the Lord today, to worship, to be a part of a glorious renewal, a glorious rebeginning on Sunday. This week is busy, especially today, as we start many different kinds of Bible studies that are open to everyone. Starting this afternoon at 4 with Dr. Joe Webb, that's Greek to me. It will be meeting in the Kerygma Room. 
Then tonight at 5 in the Lighthouse Room, come join Candy and Dick Wilson with me. Sing and worship or using a hymn book, fit some of you. Please come and join them. It was wonderful last week. Thursday night, Dr. Don Berry will start his series on Islam, ISIS, and the other inquiries. It will be on Thursdays for the month of February from 6.30 to 8.30. There is no cost, but if you're interested in going, there is a form in the church office if you could fill it out just so we know how many to expect. And then on Friday, Barbara Green's wonderful college young people's class is having a sew-a-thon from four until eight. You don't have to have a sewing machine. You don't have to know how to sew. Just come and join us. Barbara will find you a job. Supper will be served by the Baptist men and everyone is welcome to come in and join with the fun and fellowship. And if Barbara's in charge, it will be wonderful. Also, this is starting Wednesday. It's February. It's heart month. The parish nurse committee asks that you remember that we are wearing red each Sunday to emphasize the importance of being heart healthy. Also, know your numbers. Each Sunday during the month of February, there will be someone at each of the doors taking your blood pressure from 9 to 10. Everyone is welcome to participate, and if you participate, you can sign in, and at the end of the month, you might win a wonderful heart gift box. And the main reason I was wanting to be up here was to invite you to Feed the Flock next Sunday, which is a youth and children-sponsored. It is called Rite of Passage. And you had a flyer in your bulletin, and it doesn't really say what I want you to understand. Alan and I are hoping to ask you to join us in a birthday celebration of 18-year-olds in the foster care system. When they turned 18, or when we turned 18, it was a joyous occasion. But for an 18-year-old in the foster care system, they are now considered an adult. And they, for some of them, become homeless. For a young lady at Burns High School who was so excited to be 18 in the morning, but by lunchtime she was looking at a trash bag full of her belongings. She was homeless. Her foster care system let her down. The Cleveland County Children's Home is beginning a building program where they are building a new office building. On the back side of that office building will be two college-type apartments. They're calling it the transitional home. For children who are now young adults, can transition from the foster care system into being an adult. They can finish their high school education, hopefully go to CCC, find a job. The 18th birthday should be a happy time, not a sad time. So come help us, along with all the churches in Cleveland County, as we celebrate February the 5th in a rite of passage. Feed the flock will be soup, cornbread, and desserts. So please join us. Also, if you have the tab in your bulletin, I knew I would forget, please fill it out so that we know you are here and a part of our worship. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
Remember, February, acts of love. As I tell the children, it's as simple as a smile, it's as warm as a hug. Share your love, share your kindness. It doesn't take a lot. Thank you. Good morning. Our first hymn is number 425, He Keeps Me Singing. Uh, and let's all stand as we sing together.
be seated. I'd like to invite the children to come down and join me this morning for the children's sermon. We've got things all out of sorts this morning. We've got Ellen doing announcements on Men's Sunday and the pastor leading the children's sermon and Matt Whitfield, thank you for leading music. But we're glad that you're here today and we have something exciting to share. What is this, guys? A hula hoop. All right. Do you think that I can hula hoop? I've got one right here. No, you said you thought I could and then she changed her mind. That was sweet. Thank you, though, for at least having a moment of confidence. Um, I'm going to try this, but I'm only going to try it two times. And then I'm going to turn it over to Riley. And I also know that her sister and many of you, how many of you can hula hoop? All right. Well, you're probably doing better than I can. I tried this earlier and it went around twice before it fell, but I'm going to try it again. Okay, here goes. I thought this, this mic thing may hit my, might help me, but I don't think it. Well, all right. I want one more time. Whoa. All right. I surprised myself. Now, Riley, you show us how it's done. I saw your sister do it earlier. I know she can do it too, but I know you can do it. All right. All right. You could probably stand there all day and do that, couldn't you? Well, you know what? During February, we're going to be talking about love a lot. We've got a, a new love banner here, and we're going to be talking about love. My sermons are going to be talking about love, the music. And most Sundays, we talk about love here at the church because of the main things that we should talk about when we come to church is what? It's God's love, right? Well, that's what we're going to be doing the whole month of February. We're really going to be emphasizing it. But what does love have to do with a hula hoop? Well, I have a suggestion for that. Does anybody know where this hula hoop ends? Where does it begin? Nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> we don't, it just keeps going, doesn't it? It's kind of like uh, the wedding rings that we wear, you know? There's some significance in that. And a lot of times the pastor will talk about how the wedding ring is symbolic of love, how it has of God's love and also the love uh, for a couple when they get married. But you know, this hula hoop has no end. And you know what? God's love has no end. It continues, it continues no matter where we go, no matter what happens to us in life, it goes, it goes on and on. Jeremiah 31 Three uh, says, I love you. I love you people with a love that will last forever. Some translations say an everlasting love. Now, I want all you guys to hold up your fingers. Hold up your fingers and wiggle them. All right. Now, how many fingers do you have up? Ten. If we add all these up, is that forever? God's love lasts forever. Is this forever? No. All right. Well, let's get some help. Uh, congregation, you hold your fingers up and wiggle them. Okay, is that forever? If we add up everybody's fingers? No, that's not forever, is it? No. God's love is everlasting. That's what the scriptures say. Scripture says, and uh, we, need to be, we need to remember that. Psalm, there's another passage in Psalm that I wanted to mention. Psalm 136 says, his love continues forever. It's a, it's a love that will go on and on and on forever. And God desires to have a fel have relationship. He desires to have fellowship with us. And so he desires that we spend time with him in prayer and in Bible study, learning about him, not only at home with our parents and, and on our own, but also here at church as well. And so it's my hope that you and the congregation, that we can all come together and learn more about what it means uh, about what God's love, uh, you know, means for us and how we are to love other people having been filled with God's love. And so I hope you guys will be here. So let's all say together, his love endures forever. Let's say it together. His love endures forever. It goes on and on. Let's pray together. Thank you guys for being so uh, polite and patient with me this morning. God, thank you 
for this church. Thank you for this day that we've come together to worship into your house. Lord, I'm thankful for each one here. Uh, Father, we are aware of many in our congregation, Lord, who cannot be here today, and we lift them up to you this day. We pray that they would feel your love and the love of this church. Father, we're thankful that your love endures forever, that it is truly everlasting. And Father, remind us of that when days we need to, uh, to hear that message once again. I thank you for these children and for their families. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. The morning prayer time is always very special for me. Uh, I always enjoy, enjoy this part of the service on Sunday morning. And I think I, I, think I enjoy it so much because I don't know about you, but I know that I serve a God that's able. And when we come to this point in the service where we can not only thank God for all that he's done, but we can also pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. And I was reminded this morning that we've got several members of our church that are either in rehab or they in, are in nursing facilities or in the hospital that could certainly use our prayers. Uh, we've got Brother Tom Hamrick, Martha Green that I understand was just recently airlifted to Charlotte. We have Billy Washburn, Polly McDaniel, Nancy Marsh who is now in uh, Memorial Hospital in Asheville, I believe. Yes, and so we've got a lot of folks that need our concern and our prayers. So let's hold these folks up this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer, as well as all of those who are going to take part and participate in the service today. Let us pray. Father, it's with grateful hearts that we bow in your presence this morning to give you thanks for the beauty of this day. We give you thanks, Father, that we have the privilege to assemble in your house. We thank you that we have the privilege of having freedom of worship. And Lord, I'm afraid sometimes that these are freedoms and privileges that oftentimes that we take for granted. And Lord, my prayer is that you would help us not to do that, but that you'd be, that you would help us to be in your house at the appointed time. And Father, as we are fast approaching the month of February and what we're calling the, the month of love, Lord, fill our hearts with love. Help us, Father, not only to be able to reach out to our community, but to be able to reach out to people all around the world to let them know that Jesus cares. You know, Father, I, I think about what a great sacrifice that your son made for us and the fact that he was willing to give his very life on an old rugged cross that we could have life and through him that we could have that life abundantly. And Father, I thank you so very, very, very much for that. And as we think about this, Father, I, I, I want to ask you this morning to remember these who've been mentioned especially. 
I know, Father, that my Bible tells me that you're the great physician, that in you, Father, that there is all healing power. And I pray this morning, Father, that you would touch and that you would comfort and that you would heal as only you can. I ask, Father, that you'd bless all those who will have part in our worship service today. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them in a very special way. I pray for Brother Tommy and for Brother Joe, Lord, as they're going to share with us this morning. Father, give them a renewed spirit in their hearts. And as they speak to us, help us to open our hearts and our minds and our ears, Father, and to glean from their words the truths that are there. And then, Father, as we step out into the world, may we be a witness of that great love that Christ has for all mankind. Help us not to light that candle, Father, and put a bushel over it, but help us, Father, to light that candle and set it on the lampstand so that it might radiate and show to the world that we worship and that we serve a risen Savior. Let now, Father, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart, may they always be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. There is a friend who walks with me. Leads me safely through the seeking sand. It is the Christ of Calvary. This would be my prayer, dear Lord, each day to help me do the best I can. For I need thy light to guide me day and night. Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Jesus, hold my hand. Jesus, hold my hand. When I wander through the valley down toward the setting of the sun, lead me safely to a land of rest if I a crown of life have won. I have put my faith in thee, dear Lord, that I may reach the golden strand. There's no other friend on whom I can depend. Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Jesus, hold my hand. I need every hour. Jesus, hold my hand.
and the preacher called me last week when we did the offertory prayer and I was actually playing golf all day and I walk home through the door and I hear my mom say, here he is. So I kind of backpedal. I'm like, I've been home for one second and somebody's already looking for me. It's, <laughs> this might not be good. And then she asked me, said, uh, will you say the offertory prayer Sunday? I'm like, yeah, but who's on the phone? She said, the preacher. I was like, well, this is probably a bad time if I would have said no. I don't know how I would have got out of that. But. <laughs> Anyway, I'm glad to be here, and so let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to come and worship you today. We thank you for the men in this church leading us, and I pray that we not only, not only give with our offering of money, but just give love and just give our talents, because you've loved us so much these days. And we thank you for all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
you guys wouldn't want to sing a couple more songs, would you? I'd be glad to give you my time. Good morning. Welcome to Men's Day. Great day to be in God's house, amen? Well, when I, when I told Keith uh, that I'd speak this morning, I didn't know he was going to put my name up in lights out on the, the, the next to the highway. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, Cindy said something to me about seeing my name on a sign. And I said, no, I don't think so. Uh, but when I left that morning, I did notice it was out there. And I, my thoughts that went through my mind, well, well, that's a good thing. Because everybody would see my name up there and nobody will show up. <laughs> but then I realized immediately that that wasn't going to be the case. Because right above my name was Dr. Joseph Webb. And I knew that everybody would want to come and hear Dr. Webb, myself included. So think of this like when you go to a concert, you know, they always have an opening act. And then the main event comes out. So the main event is coming, and I, knowing him like I do, I know it will be, it'll be worth the wait. Uh, you know, I didn't realize until we had our organizational committee meetings a couple of weeks ago that I'm on six committees. Anybody else? Raise your hand. So that should be noted for something, some kind of record. <laughs> now this is what happens when one of your best friends is heading up the nominated committee and they have slots to fill. <laughs> no, that's not true and that's, and that's not what happened. But I'm on the Constitution Committee, Long Range Planning, Social and Fellowship, Welcome and Hospitality, Usher, and Nominated. And I assure you I'll do my best to do the best I can to serve on all those committees. I'm on the nominating committee because this year I am serving as the director of Baptist Men for our church. And for the next few minutes, what I'd like to do is to share with you how that came about. And in that process, to share with you how important prayer is to me and about my prayer time and about how God speaks to me. And let me first say that I was not strong-armed or strongly encouraged or even asked to serve in this position. I volunteered. I asked for it. And I'd like to share with you how that came about. Ever since I retired, I've been searching for a, a time to pray, for my prayer time. Now, I know we can pray any time, and I do that, but I'm having a time dedicated and set aside uh, for my daily prayer. When I was working, I used to use my time driving to and from work as my prayer time. And I was thinking this morning, I was getting nervous about getting up, was quite often my prayers going to work were very different than my prayers coming home from work. Uh, but since I retired, I've not been able to find a time that just seemed to fit, that just seemed right. I had more time, but you know, the different times I tried, they just didn't feel right. Well, about a year ago after I retired, I began going to the Y. Every day, Monday to Friday. And I began walking. And I built my t walking time up to where I now walk five miles a day. And that takes me an hour better than an hour. And I also found that if I listened to music, that the time went by quicker. So I'd go to the Y, 
put on my headphones, find me a Pandora station or a playlist, and off I'd go. Well, if you remember, sometime last year, Keith challenged us to listen to the New Testament. And I found that my walking time was a great time for me to listen to the New Testament. And that worked, it worked out great. So a few weeks ago, while walking at the Y, I just, there was something I needed to pray about, so I just began to pray. And then the thought come to me that possibly this time that I had while I was walking would be a great time for me to use as my prayer time. So I made myself a new playlist, thinking that listening to George Strait or Alan Jackson or Jimmy Buffett wasn't quite what I needed to be listened to to get myself in the mood, my heart and, my, and, and, and me in the mood to pray. So I placed songs on this list, some songs that I just liked, but I also tried to place some songs on there that would remind me or encourage me to pray for certain people and, and certain things. So with my headphones on, playlist playing, I began using my walking time as my prayer time. And it just seemed to fit. Uh, so every day I began using this as my prayer time. Now, one of the things that I'm not real good at is listening, as my wife and some of my friends will tell you. And this is also true when I pray, and it may be true for a lot of us. I want to do all the talking and not enough listening to God. So every day I tried to set aside a certain period of time where I would just listen to God and ask Him to speak to me. Well, you better be careful what you ask for because He will speak to you. One day while praying, a thought just popped into my head. And this, it just, why don't you pray? That thought just popped into my head. And you know, I'm thinking, well, I am praying. But see, I knew exactly where that thought came from. You see, every Sunday morning at my men's Bible study, we always open with prayer. And most of the time, Jamie does that praying. But he always asks if anyone else would like to pray. And most of the time, I just sit there and wait it out, thinking Ed will pray, Keith will pray, or Jamie will pray. So I just sit and wait it out. I knew this was what this thought was about. And I knew where it came from. As I recited back to God my list of reasons why I didn't pray, you know, they pray better than I do. They'll be upset if they don't get to pray. I don't know what to say. What I say won't sound right. Well, this thought just kept, kept coming back. Why don't you pray? So at that moment, I took out my cell phone and I sent Jamie a text and told him that on the next Sunday, I would like to pray. Because I knew if I didn't do it then, come next Sunday, I'd just sit and wait it out. And then when somebody else spoke up, I would think to myself, doggone it, I was just about to do it. <laughs> so I sent Jamie that text. Another day while I was praying, and even before I got to my listening time, the time for God to speak to me, he interrupted me. Why don't you serve? And once again, I immediately knew what the, where that thought came from. You see, the previous Sunday at church, we were given a tentative list of the church leadership. 
for the coming year. And as I looked over that list, I noticed that no one was listed as the director of Baptist men. No big deal, I thought. I didn't even give it up. You didn't even really even think about it. Well, I began to do what I'm good at and tell God the reasons why. Why not? I'm too old. Don't know what to do. Don't have time. It really doesn't matter if we even have anybody in that position. Lynn will twist somebody's arm to do it. Or I really just don't want to do it. Well, this time I did not immediately take out my phone and send somebody a message that I would do that. So God and I talked about that one for several days. But every day that thought just kept coming back, no matter how much I resisted. Next Sunday morning, as me and Bible study was breaking up, out of the blue came this thought again. Why don't you serve? So I went over to Lynn, asked if anyone had been chosen for the position, hoping that maybe someone had. No such luck. So I told him I would be willing to serve. So to put it simply, I am the director of Baptist men because God asked me to do it. Now, I don't know what happens now. And I'm praying about that every day. And I ask you, especially the men, to pray about it. What should we as men of this church, as Baptist men, be doing to serve the Lord? Think about these things, and I ask you to pray about them. What does it mean to be a Baptist man? Does it simply mean I'm a man and I go to a Baptist church? Can someone I meet outside of church, can they tell I'm a Baptist man? Can they tell I'm a Christian? Should they be able to? If so, can they? If not, why not? Does God just want us as men of the church to just come to church on Sunday? I don't think so. I ask you men of the church to be in prayer as to what God would have us to be doing in service to him. I'm praying every day, seeking God's will for me as a Baptist man. Seeking God's will for us as Baptist men of Bowling Springs this Church, and I ask you to join me in this prayer. I leave you with these words from Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. Pray with me, please. Loving Father, thank you for sending Jesus to come as our perfect example of a godly man, a man who demonstrated that godly living means to walk in spirit and truth, in submission to the Holy Spirit, and in obedience to you, his heavenly Father. Lord, we lift up the Christian men of Boiling Springs Baptist Church and Christian men everywhere and pray that your spirit of grace and truth may rest and remain on each one. We pray that Christian men grow, may grow, and in the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, and that we become strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength, and not rely on our own abilities, but in those of God. May the beautiful character of the Lord Jesus be increasingly reflected in each one, and may the Christian men of Bowling Springs Baptist Church and Christian men throughout the world be godly witnesses to the truth of the gospel in their own home and with others with whom they come in contact. Build up the body of Christ, we pray, with an army of Christian men of God. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. glad Tommy clarified who the main event was up here this morning, the main event speaker. But uh, Tommy, that was a very good message, a great message, and we appreciate it very much, very much. Our, our scripture reading this morning, it comes from the New Testament, from the book of John, fourth chapter verses 1 through 15. Um, I'll be reading from the Pew Bible, and it's on page 925 if you want to follow, uh, follow me on the, on the reading of this. So I said, uh, 
chapter 4, verses 1 through, through 15. Now when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to the city of Samaria called Sischar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and so Jesus, weary as he was with his journey, sat down beside the wall. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samarian woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. It is a... Um a great uh, honor and uh, privilege to stand in this historic pulpit. After 40 years in pulpits, this one is about as prestigious as I can remember. It's wonderful. Thank you for the invitation to uh, share with you this morning. <clears throat> the story that, um, that Lynn just read, he read half of the story. And since I think it's a familiar story, uh, and yet uh, w we could use a little refreshing, I would like to read quickly, I'll, I won't take too long, but I would like to read quickly the rest of the story from John chapter 4 and ask you to listen carefully to the exchange that takes place between this woman and Jesus. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me the water that I may not thirst. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Well, did you say, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and now he whom you have is not your husband. You have spoken this truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where it is necessary to worship. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me that an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father also seeks such ones that worship him. God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When that one comes, he will announce to us all things. Jesus said to her, I am that one now speaking to you. The cast of characters in the New Testament that Jesus meets, particularly in the Gospels where we find the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the cast of characters is an extraordinary cast, a cast of individuals, people, who in, who in extremely important ways communicate to us. We learn from Jesus in two different ways. One from the things he teaches us, like the Sermon on the Mount, and like things that he says, even to this woman. But the second way that we learn from Jesus is through what he did. When he said, come follow me, he wasn't just saying, pay attention to what I say. He was also saying, watch what I do, because I will communicate much of what I do in order to show you, teach you, call you to behave and live as I do. And in this cast of characters, the story from John chapter four, early in John's gospel, and this is the only gospel that gives us this story, we find one of the longest encounters that Jesus has with any one person in the New Testament. And we also find one of the events that is, how do we say, one of those events that not only teaches us by what it says, but by the actions of Jesus to initiate it. This story of the woman at the well, is it fair to say you know this story? If you've grown up in the church, you know this story. The story of Jesus meeting this woman, passing through Samaria, where the Jews of Judea uh, seldom passed through because they didn't like the Jews that were in Samaria. It's a long story, but uh, they were alienated from each other, though all of them were Jews. And in moving from the north part of the country to the south, Jesus took his disciples and walked straight through what essentially was land they didn't essentially walk through on a common basis. And the disciples, they stop at the well near Sychar, and the disciples go to buy food, and a woman appears at the well to draw water, probably with her head covered, carrying who knows what kinds of, of uh, vessels to draw from the water, and Jesus and the woman encounter one another. Now, the interesting thing about the story is that down through the ages, 2,000 and some years now since this story first appeared in John's Gospel, this woman has been universally depicted in a particular way 
And the depiction stems from the fact that Jesus spoke to her and said, um, go call your husband. She said, I have no husband. He says, no, you've had five. I know. And the one you're with now, you don't want to make number six. I think that's what he said. And, and at that point, they were on common ground together. Now, Jesus was used to occasionally having sinful people brought into his presence. In fact, famously, there is a story of the Pharisees bringing a woman to Jesus ready to stone her because she had been caught in adultery. Remember that story? And they said, Jesus, bless us as we take care of this. And Jesus, after chasing the Pharisees away, said to the woman, go and sin no more. Remember that story? There is no such language in the story of this woman. And yet this woman has come down to us as a universally bad woman. Bad woman, five husbands, bad woman, living with somebody who's not your husband. Let me, in order to summarize this, let, let me read a few verses, words for you from one of the great old Bible commentaries that has been used for hundreds and hundreds of years. It says about this woman this, Jesus turns her back upon the shameful wretchedness of this woman's life, that she may forget the water of Jacob's well and thirst for relief from shame and misery. In requiring her thus to face the facts of her guilty life, in encouraging her to bring clear before him all her sinful entanglements, he responds to her request and gives her the draft of living water. For there is no abiding spiritual satisfaction which does not begin with a fair and frank consideration of our past and which does not proceed upon the actual fasts of our own life. If this woman is to enter into a hopeful and cleansed life, she must enter through confession of her need for cleansing. Did you hear that in what I read? No, you didn't hear a blessed piece of that in what I read. My friends, the reason that this story is so important is because Jesus never says to her, go and sin no more. They have a conversation of significance, deep theological significance, the kind of conversation that Jesus and his disciples could not even have. They were not prepared to hear it. They wouldn't have known what he was talking about. And Jesus would not have wasted the words on them at this point in his ministry. The problem is this, there is one thing wrong with these words that describe this dear woman as a shameful, wretched woman filled with sinful entanglements because she had five husbands. The only problem was, and, and, and great uh, scholars know this and have known it for years, the Roman Catholic Church developed this kind of a take on her very early in the church's life, and it has persisted all of these centuries. And the problem is this. It was absolutely 
Many of you will know this already. It was absolutely illegal in Jewish life, whether in Samaria or in Jerusalem or in Judea or in Galilee, wherever the Jews were, it was illegal for women to divorce their husbands. Now, many of you know that. It was only possible for a man to divorce a woman. A woman could not initiate it, could not pursue it, and the pain of uh, the, 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 the punishments for that themselves were severe. It was not this woman who had divorced five men. It was five men who had divorced this woman. And that's the key to the story. This is not a shameful, wretched woman at all. And Jesus understood that the minute he began to talk with her. Now, Jesus might have said to her, so you're getting tired of marrying all those guys and you just decided not to do it this time, huh? Because I think that's what they were thinking. Jesus did not condemn her. He did not chastise her. He said absolutely not a single word to her which suggested disapproval of her life, not one. Now the question is, so what happened? Well, as we think about, I asked you to listen carefully because if you actually find your way through this wonderful story, you find yourself asking, so who is she? And what is she like? And what are the characteristics that would define her? And I asked you to listen carefully uh, to particularly the second half of the story where he and G Jesus and this unnamed woman carry on this magnificent conversation about holy things. Uh, you can pick up a lot of her characteristics. She is extremely smart. Jesus would not be talking to her about deep theological things that a smart person would not grasp. That's why he's not had a conversation like this, actually. He gets through most of his ministry and never has a conversation like this with his 12 disciples. She's smart. It would, would, it, would it mean something to you to, to suggest that she is headstrong? Women, does that offend you? If so, I'll take it back. <laughs> oh, you can't take it back after you've done it, can you? Uh, okay, I got it, I got it, okay. Uh, she is, I think she, I, does that word mean anything? Headstrong? She's her own person? Could we put it this way? She is not by nature inclined to kowtow what a man tells her to do? Does that make sense? And you realize that it was very easy in Hebrew life if you did not do, ladies, what you were told to do, you could end up in divorce court. This is a remarkable woman who has, I think, tried 
tried, I think she wants to be married, I think she does, but who tries to be her own person and runs into guys who don't want her to be her own person. And as a result, five husbands. If I were advising her, I'd say just cut it down, let it be no more than two, three, and, and stop, stop. Well, she pushed it a little farther. But what I want you to, to grasp is that, that Jesus has met an extraordinary woman and immediately recognizes it, in my judgment, discovers that for, for, for whatever miraculous reasons he knows a little about her, her background, There is no condemnatory language. Instead, he opens the door so we will talk about the metaphor of water and living water. And then, my friends, for the first time in Jesus' ministry, for the first time, now this is early in John's Gospel, for the first time in Jesus' ministry, he tells her who he is. He has not told anybody up to this point who he is. Did you hear me read that? I know that we're waiting for the Messiah, and when he comes, he'll teach us all things, and everything will be straightened out. And Jesus, for the first time, says, I, I am him. And I think the woman was speechless. I think she grasped it. Because when she finally went back to town, she went and told everybody, I have met him. I have met him. I know who he is. He's here. The rest of the story says that. We didn't read that part. My friends, where are the men in this story? Okay. Well, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, after their two-hour conversation, I made that up. It doesn't say two hours, but I think it was a long conversation. And they, after all, they did go to town to buy groceries and probably other things, okay? But they're all gone. One of the questions I've often wondered is, how did John know this happened? He wasn't there. Any ideas? Well, when they come back, they're kind of puzzled, the disciples, because I'll get back to that. They're kind of puzzled, the disciples, because he is still, the conversation is still going on. He's still talking to her. That kind of interrupts them, which I suspect causes them no little anxiety that uh, they don't know what he's doing here. Because, A, you're not supposed to talk to women, you men, particularly strange women at wells, and particularly Samaritan women. I mean, he's got a whole list of things, but it's obvious they've had a great conversation. Then the disciples are puzzled. Uh, the disciples are puzzled at all of this, and bless his heart, Jesus does not stop. Uh, I think he greets her to walk away. She walks away, and, and I think they're afraid to say, what was that all about? I think they're afraid to say that. And I think the subject goes untalked about what he's just done. 
Would that be fair to say? Untalked about. You know, one of the things we know as we read the New Testament carefully is that Jesus developed a very loyal following of women who began to go with him from place to place. They kind of stayed together. I think this became one of those women. I really do. And I think that John, that disciple, younger disciple appear, apparently, but I think he was curious. And I think one day he either asked Jesus or he asked her, do you remember that thing back at the well? What did you guys talk about? And I think she might have been the one to sit down with John and say, let me tell you what happened. I think she did. Jesus could have, but I think it was her. Because do you realize she must have remembered every single word that he said? Every single word she remembered. And then he said this to me, and then I said that to him. Then he said this to me. And John either slipped away and wrote it down or never forgot it because we have this magnificent story. Now, ladies, I need for would, would you all wait outside for the rest of the time? The, the, the men and I need to have a little talk. Oh, that's not appropriate, is it? Oh, I'm so sorry. I, 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 okay, read your bulletin or something, but keep yourself occupied, ladies. Uh, Men's Sunday. Men, I being one of the older ones of you, um, this is a profoundly important story. Uh, not just because of what it says. It is profoundly important for that. We learn a lot of theology in this one little story about this. You realize this is the first time the, the idea has been floated that God does not live in the temple and get up in the morning and brush his teeth as the Jews tended to believe. But God is a spirit who does not live in buildings, but is everywhere, and you can never escape from where he is. That's a new idea. The reason that the story is important is also because it's where it is in John's gospel and how long it is. We can judge a lot of stories like that in the New Testament. But my friends, this is a story yeah, it's, it's about living water. It's about God. I understand. But my friends, this is a story about women. This is a story that is more about women than anything Paul ever had to say about them. Because when Jesus acted, he was showing us a model of behavior. Come follow me and live like this. And Jesus embraces this woman and treats her with respect. And I think if he were picking disciples from the beginning again, she would be among them. Read the story in, as though you've never read it before. And what you end up realizing is that Jesus and this woman are, he is, he is embracing her in a thousand ways with what he says, with how he behaves toward her, and he would give anything 
if the disciples were to grasp what he's doing here. My friends, the church lost that. The Roman Catholic Church that emerged about 300 years after this in full-blown glory under, under the great emperor Constantine, the, 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 the Roman Church promptly tried to get rid of this idea and maintains it to this day that women are second class in the church, not to Jesus, they're not. This story is so clear that Jesus embraces women as part of his team. He teaches her, and the reason he teaches her is because she's smart and can learn it. And she grasps it in ways that even Peter and John and the rest of the disciples at this point had no idea and probably wouldn't have if Jesus had tried to explain to them what he did to her. And I, okay, ladies, you can come back in now. One or two things, and then I'll stop. My friends, the church, the future of the church may very well depend to a certain extent, probably a considerable extent, to how well the church learns how to embrace women of all kinds in roles of leadership and ministry and encouragement and standing alongside men in seeing that the gospel is carried out. I believe that with all of my heart. And, and I truly believe that the story of this remarkable woman would that we could give her a name, that the way that Jesus treated her is exactly the way he expects men of the church to treat the women of the church here and wherever it is. Now, I have two things to finish with. One is that I truly believe that the Boiling Springs Baptist Church has to a significant extent gotten it, heard it, got it, got it. Among Baptists, we are one of the very few churches that will put women on the front lines of leadership in the church. And I salute that, and I admire that. And one of the happiest moments in my seven or eight years in this congregation was Christmas Eve, when we spread the Lord's table, which I wish we'd spread more often than we do. And there was a woman presiding on this end and a man on this end. And we saw it. We saw it that night. The other thing I would like to say, now you realize I don't get to do this very often. I've preached for 40 years, but it's been a few years since I get asked to do this, so I gotta take advantage of it. <laughs> we can do better. We can do better. We're not there yet. We can, in fact, bring women much more into the spotlight of leadership in our church, in our great church. 
And I will be always one to speak up in favor of doing that. Uh, I think the New Testament supports that. I think it's gotten lost in the, in the long liturgies of the church, Catholic and Protestant both. But my friends, this story of this woman, uh, and the thing that I so like about the story is that this is not Paul talking, this is Jesus talking. This is Jesus who is extending the hand out to this woman and inviting her into a circle of his followers where I think Jesus intended her to be. I think he fell in love with her. She was not the only one. There are other great stories like this. This just happens to be the longest one and the one with the most details in it for us. I truly believe that a great church is a church in which women and men stand side by side in every single capacity that the church requires. And not to do that is to violate what I think is the example of Jesus himself in the Gospel of John. Pray with me. Thank you, dear God, for the great stories of the Gospels. The letters are nice, but the Gospels have Jesus at their very heart. Thank you for this great story of this wonderful woman who Jesus celebrated, held her up, and the story has come down to us as a model that our Savior expects us to respect and follow. Thank you for these moments we have together today. Thank you for the church. Bless it, we pray. Heal us of those things that we need healing for. Forgive us, dear God, for the moments in which we forget. And may your spirit rest upon us now and evermore. In the name of Christ, amen. Number 62, all the way my Savior leads me, and I might add the words were written by a woman the great Fanny Crosby. Brothers and sisters, it is good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? amen. It's good to be a child of God, amen? amen? I thank you all 
for coming here today. I thank all the men at Boiler Springs Baptist Church for what you have all done. Thank you, Tommy Green, for your testimony. Thank you, Joseph Webb, for a great word. I appreciate it. The Lord was truly here, and I felt every single moment with everything you have said. Please join me now as we receive the benediction of the Lord. May the love of God be with us. May it comfort us, hold us, encourage us, strengthen us. May the peace of Christ be upon us. May it show us the way. May it break down barriers of division and strife. May the guidance of the Holy Spirit be with us. Give us strength to overcome the trials and tribulations waiting before us, to comfort us, and to keep us safe and to bring us together again. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.